Miracy. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Riziku. In each episode of Course Lab, we usually showcase a course and creator who's doing something unique with their course. And in this episode, we'll do that in a very special way. Last week, to wrap up our mini-series on course platforms, my co-host Danny Eni had me on the hot seat, talking about the technology that we've built with Riziku and where I see the industry going. Well, today, I'm going to return the favor. So that means our guest today is Course Lab's very own Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Mercy, and the author of multiple books about the world of online courses. Welcome, Danny. Thanks, Abe. This is going to be fun. All right. So this is pretty cool because normally our listeners don't get to hear from you directly. So why don't we start with the big picture that we're normally asking our guests to provide? You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and how your company Miracy came to be and come to make the impact that it's made in the world. Yeah. So I'll tell the backstory, but, you know, as context, you should know that I'm a teacher in my personality, right? Pretty much everything that I do well boils down to that. To the extent that I am a good parent or leader or marketer, it's because I parent like a teacher and I lead like a teacher and I market like a teacher, right? In like kindergarten, I was the kid who would come home and it's like, mommy, mommy, look what I did. Look what I learned at school today. I want to teach you, right? Like that was me. So with that as context, I've been an entrepreneur, I like to say for longer than my adult life. I was the biggest nerdy goody two shoes kid you can imagine growing up. And that lasted all the way until the end of the eighth grade. And then halfway through the ninth grade, something just snapped in my head. And I was like sitting in class and thinking, oh my God, this is so boring. I just can't take this anymore. And so I cut a few classes, which was you know a very new thing for me at the time. But I cut a few classes. I come back to school a few days later and I sit in the same class and they're still talking about the exact same thing. Nothing has changed. And so I'm like, oh, this is, I can't do this. So I cut a few more classes and I don't do anything halfway. So in that first trimester, I missed 152 classes and the number just went up from there. And that went on for about a year and a half. Then one day I looked in the mirror and I was like, Danny, what are you doing? Like, what's the plan here? Right. Am I just going to keep cutting classes and watching MTV and going to the gym all day, every day? Like, that's not a thing. So let's make it official. I'm quitting school. I'm going to start a business. And I figured that I would build websites because I knew a little bit of HTML. And anyone who knows what that means knows that that does not actually qualify you (laughs) to build websites. But I didn't know that at the time. So I started going like door to door to all the shops in my neighborhood. And I would say, do you need a website? And this is how young and inexperienced I was. I didn't understand that the clerk at the counter is not the person who makes that decision. So needless to say, no results, no traction. And then one day I'm sitting with a friend of mine. We're playing a video game with his little sister, who's like five. It's one of these educational titles. And he points at the screen and he says, you know, Danny, I'll bet you could build a game like this. And I say, you know, I'll bet I could. I don't know why. I had none of the requisite skills. There was no reason to believe I actually could. But I said, yeah, this looks simple enough. I'll bet I could. So we find the box because this was back when software came in boxes. And I look up the company and I call them up and I get a meeting with the CEO. And I walk into that meeting and I'm 15 and a half years old. And in hindsight, I'm like, how did I get a meeting with the CEO? But at the time, it was such a no big deal thing that it didn't even occur to me that it was unusual. So I literally don't remember how I did it. But I meet with this guy. 
and I tell him I have a business proposition for you. I think I can build games that you will sell. And uh, my mom has a degree in psychology, so I told him I've conferred with a psychologist. And I've come to the conclusion that if you want kids to learn, they should be having fun and learning in the background. They shouldn't be doing like math exercises on the screen. And what he could have said was, no kidding, I've been doing this for 10 years, get out of my office. But he didn't do that. Instead, he opens a drawer, he pulls out a document, he blows on it, and a cloud of dust flies off it. And he says, this is a script that I wrote for a game eight years ago. Why don't you build it for us and we'll sell it? And I tell him, that sounds great. And he asks me, so how are you going to build it? And I had no technical skills whatsoever, but I knew of Visual Basic because I had a friend who knew Visual Basic. I thought maybe he'd teach me. So I tell him, I'll build it in Visual Basic. And he gives me a look and he says, isn't that like reinventing the wheel? Why don't you build it in Director? So I tell him, look, if we're going to be working together, then of course I have to adapt to your business practices. So I'll build it in Director. So we shake hands. I walk home. I open up Google, which was brand new at the time. I type in, what is Director? And I worked on this project on and off for a few years. It never saw the light of day at first because I didn't know what I was doing. And once I figured it out how to do a good job, I realized the script wasn't very good. But I did other contract work for them. And that was kind of my entree into the world of entrepreneurship. And so I bounced around different businesses and eventually came to the idea of building my own game, teaching kids how to read. And we got some good early traction. The experts loved it. The kids loved it. But little problem, the parents and teachers who would have been the actual customers totally didn't get it. And I was a very young and very inexperienced CEO in what in hindsight is an incredibly complicated industry. So I walked away from that with a quarter of a million dollars in personal debt. And I was like, okay, so I need to do something. How am I going to pay my rent? And I thought, well, what if I start a blog and I start teaching people things that I've learned along the way about business and marketing? And I built up that blog and, you know, I wrote lots of content and I thought it was great, but the world had no idea because nobody was reading it. And in my pursuit of figuring out how to get people to discover and read what I was producing, I tried a lot of different things and some of those things worked. Most of them didn't, but I did less of the things that didn't work and then more of the things that did. And slowly my readership grew and people started noticing not just the stuff I was producing, but how I was getting that attention, the marketing strategies I was using, you know, back in like 2011. And they started asking me, hey, can you teach me how to do this, what you're doing? And I thought that, you know, this was not my core business, not what I want to be doing. So I said no, which is, you know, this is not a good lesson when the market says they want something, take it seriously. But it took me a while to figure that out. Finally, people kept asking. I eventually said yes, but I don't think anybody's going to want this. So I'll tell you what. I'll run a little promotion. If enough people sign up, then I'll do it. I really expected that, you know, this was my risk mitigation, but it worked phenomenally well. Lots of people signed up. I built the course. I taught people how to get their content published on major blogs. A lot of people signed up for it. This was my first blockbuster course in 2012. And for a couple of years there, you couldn't find a major blog on the internet that didn't have my students' work featured on it. And that was great. People were getting great results. And eventually people started coming back to me and saying, you know, Danny, I've taken a lot of online courses and I never get any results from them. But when I take yours, I do. Can you teach me how to build online courses like yours? And so that was 2013 or 2014 when I pivoted into let's teach people how to build online courses in the way that I was. And I haven't looked back. I've worked with thousands upon thousands of now successful course creators. I've trained and taught hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. I've written multiple books. I've got a great podcast with a co-host who's much smarter than I am. 
And um, it's just been an amazing wild ride. And I think the reason that I've been able to make a contribution in this space is that one, I am just naturally wired to be a teacher. Again, everything that I do well, I do because I'm a teacher. And two, because I'm fascinated with this area, you know, when I approached my first course, I'd already read tons of books about how people learn and how we process information and instructional design and human psychology, because it just fascinates me. And that's a rigor that we've continued to invest in and bring further in our exploration of all the world of online courses, which has just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper over literally almost the last decade. One thing that's interesting, I think, about your story of how you got into this world is that you kind of had to go through the highs and the lows, you know, dealing with a lot of struggles trying to get a business that worked, and then hitting upon this area of online courses where you've seen a lot of traction and success. For people who are listening that are maybe just starting to begin their own kind of individual practice or start their own business, or maybe they've been trying to do it and are more in that area of struggle and not hitting you know, on what's working yet, what's kind of your advice for them in terms of how to get to the other side? Yeah. So the way I think about it, there are two seasons to a career or a business process or cycle. And, and it's not that there's one, then there's the other, and then you're done. It's that you, know, you just go back and forth from one to the other, just like the seasons and the calendar. But one season is planting, where you are investing in things that will become powerful and meaningful later. And the other season is harvesting, where you get all the benefits of all the stuff that you've planted in the past. And I feel like there's a lot out there about, you know, kind of four-hour workweek type ideas and, you know, minimum viable effort and minimum effective dose and, you know, how can I balance this and balance that? And all that makes perfect sense in a harvesting season, right? But when you're planting, if you want to get to a place where you're seeing a result and you're not seeing a result now, that's the time to go, you know, balls out as far as you can, as fast as you can. Let's make all the effort and see where it takes us. And so that usually involves a lot of trial, a lot of experimentation, a lot of openness and curiosity, a lot of winning, willingness to stumble. All of that's really important. And so if you're at a place where you want a result that is not being created yet, you've got to just do a lot of things and try a lot of things, and you've got to invest. And you can invest time, you can invest money, you can invest effort. And they kind of trade off one against the other. So it's probably best to do all of those to the extent that you can. But try a lot of things, see what's working. Ideally, work with coaches, experts, guides who can help you both pursue the things that are most likely to succeed and then draw the right lessons from both the successes and the failures so you can get better and better with each iteration. But you know, I think it all starts with asking yourself, am I in a planting or a harvesting season right now? And if it's harvesting, then you know, sit back, enjoy. You know, harvest all you can. That's all good. But if you're planting, then, you know, roll up your sleeves, buckle up and do the work to plant. Yeah, it makes sense. So you've, over the past few years, you've had kind of this front row seat to the world of entrepreneurial online courses and, and seeing them go through a period of rapid growth and adoption and change. I'm really curious, and I think listeners are, must be really curious too, as to what you see playing out from here, right? Where do you see the world of online courses going as we've progressed from a sort of initial phase of 
like, hey, is this idea even going to work? Are people going to adopt and take our courses? Can it really be a viable business? Now that we've gotten past that initial uncertainty, what's in your crystal ball? What do you see in your vision for where online courses are going in the future? And what are the implications of that? So I have a colleague who is a futurist. His whole work is about predicting trends and saying this is where things are going. And what I learned from him is that you don't want to take a guess at what's coming in the future. You want to look at what's happening now and extrapolate the trend. And so if we look at where we are now and especially how we got here, online courses have only ever been successful to the extent that they offer a shortcut to the students, right? If you want to achieve an outcome, if you want to be able to do something and accomplish something and make something happen, then to the extent that I can help you get that result in less time than it would take you on your own, with less cost than it would take you on your own, or with less risk of failure than it would take you on your own, I'm offering you a shortcut, not something you're willing to pay for, right? That's the only reason people buy any kind of online course that is a premium course. There are cheap information-only courses that are really more about like entertainment. That's a different ballgame. That's not where I generally focus my work. But in the context of premium courses that, that people are buying because they want an outcome, right? It's got to deliver a shortcut, get to an outcome in less time, at less cost, or with less risk. Now, what it has taken to deliver that shortcut has changed over the years, right? If you go back to the early days of online courses, my early days in the industry, back then, information was a lot harder to come by. Information was pretty scarce. And so if you would create a course that just has the information that people want, there's nowhere else to get it. Well, that is a meaningful shortcut. That's valuable. And so if we think back to the early days of online courses, if we've been around long enough, remember these, you know, infamous $2,000 online courses that are just a bunch of videos and a membership site and, you know, don't really deliver much by way of transformation. How did they quote unquote get away with it? Well, they got away with it because it was a meaningful shortcut over the alternative, which was trying to figure it out on your own. And that worked for a while. But eventually we came out of that first age. I call that the age of access because what people wanted was access to the information. And we got to a place where information was actually quite ubiquitous. It was abundant. There was lots of information on blogs and YouTube videos and everywhere else. And then the question became not how do I find the information because I've, I've found it. It's everywhere. It's how do I sort through it and evaluate what do I need and what do I not? It's the filtering. And this brought us to the age of convenience where what people really wanted is curation. And so the course that would provide a shortcut doesn't just provide the information that people need. It also filters out all the information that people don't. So it saves them time. And that worked great for a little while until even curated information started to become abundant and ubiquitous. And that was met with the rise of just everything vying for our attention. This kind of brings us into the COVID years as well. We're trapped at home. We're in front of a computer and a screen all the time. We are streaming Hulu and Netflix and YouTube. And there's just everything that's pulling us in a thousand different directions. And we've become very scattered. There's a great book by Johan Hari called Stolen Focus about the phenomenon of just our ability to focus, just being fragmented and dispersed. But so now what did people want from online courses? Not just give me the information I need and just the information I need, but also hold my attention while I'm going through it. Make it fun, make it interesting. This was the, the heyday of gamification and the points and the banners and the leaderboards and all that kind of stuff. And that also worked for a little while. But then even that became a hygiene factor, right? You know, in the sense that, you know, taking a shower won't make you happy, but not taking a shower will make you miserable. Well, you know, a certain amount of engaging fun in a course became necessary, but it doesn't really put you over the top. It doesn't really justify a premium. And that brings us to the present. 
where people are saying, okay, you know, I've seen online courses. There's tons of online courses. I know what a good online course looks like. I'm only taking an online course because I want a shortcut to get to an outcome. And so I'll pay a premium, but only if it legitimately delivers that outcome. And here's the thing. If I'm looking for a shortcut, then it means that what I'm trying to do is not that easy for me. And so I need you to help me do something that is not that easy to do. It's kind of difficult. And so the only thing people will pay a premium for now and going into the future is a course that delivers legitimate transformation, right? Doesn't just say, here's some information, here's a fun way to go through it, but actually makes it easy for me to internalize it, to practice it, to get feedback on, am I doing it right? And am I actually getting better and better enough at it that I can apply it when it counts to actually get the result I want? And so I think that's where the industry is going. And that has a lot of implications in terms of what it takes to thrive as a course entrepreneur. You can't just slap a bunch of videos together. You can't just record something off the cuff and, you know, hope that people like it. You can't put 80% of your effort into the marketing and only 20% of your course in the way that, you know, a decade ago, a lot of people did. It's just, that's not the landscape anymore. So how does that tie into this concept of hybrid courses that you've recently been writing and speaking about? Well, hybrid is the way that you deliver that transformation. Um, I have been talking a lot about hybrid lately, and the questions I get are still very basic in the sense of people want to know, well, what exactly is hybrid? Does hybrid mean cohorts? Does hybrid mean gamification? Does it mean coaching? Does it mean live? What does it mean? And they expect me to say, oh, it's this one. But actually, my answer is, yes, it's, it's all of those things, because hybrid isn't about a single silver bullet, you know, do everything this one way. Hybrid is about having access to the whole toolbox. And adjusting the sliders to say a little more of this, a little less of that, is the optimal way in this particular case to deliver a great result for my students in a way that is scalable and profitable and sustainable for me as the entrepreneur. So here's the way you want to think about it. When people want to learn and get good at something, there are three steps in that learning journey. It's really, it's a cycle. The first is the consumption of information, right? That's where you listen to the audio, you watch the video, you read the text, you attend the lecture, etc. And you consume the information. And information is great for some things. It's great for expanding your sense of what's possible. It's great for pushing the horizon. It's great for integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. But information is not good at imparting competence. We don't get good at things by reading books or watching videos. And so if we want to get good at things, we move on to the next step, which is, okay, I've consumed the information. Now I've got to apply what I've learned. I've got to do something with it. And that can be theoretical application, like. Um, you know, exercises, worksheets, that sort of thing, where it can be very practical. I'm doing real things in my business and in my life. And then the third step is feedback, right? This stuff that I'm doing, this stuff that I'm practicing, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I need to learn how much of it am I doing well, and I need to do more of that. How much of it am I doing not so well, and I need to change it. And there's always going to be feedback in the form of results, but the feedback can be very unnuanced or it can be very precise. So if I'm learning skateboarding, you know, I get feedback from concrete and gravity. But A, that won't be very pleasant. And B, it will take a while for me to get the relevant lessons. I'll get much better, more directed, and helpful feedback from a coach or instructor. And so when you have those steps, consumption followed by application, followed by feedback, and then we can move on to the next thing, that's where we actually develop some skills. And so you use everything in this hybrid course toolbox to explore, well, how do I create the best opportunity, the best context for people to consume this information? I make it engaging, I make it interesting, I make it granular, they can go through it in a way that is comfortable and convenient for them on their own device, on their own time, 
you know, some of it mobile, some of it at their computer, et cetera. And then how can they apply it? How do I make it easy for them to do these things? And then how do I make it easy for them to get feedback in a way that is helpful and effective, but also scalable and sustainable? So that could be coaching, but that could also be peer feedback structures. That could also be self-reflective structures or integrating artificial intelligence uh, systems. There are lots of ways to do it. But fundamentally, what you want to say is, I have access to this entire toolbox. How can I create a great learning experience for them to consume the information? How can I create a great opportunity that is easy and safe for me to then apply the information? And then how can I create the feedback structures that are personalized, tailored, really useful, but also scalable and cost-effective for the course creator? And when you really dial those in, you create a course that delivers a massive amount of transformation. So read that as the shortcut, which means it's really valuable and people want to pay a lot of money for, but it's also very cost-effective for you to fulfill. So as a case in point, we had on the show in the first season, Ian Roberts, who is the painter who teaches about drawing composition. And he was a student in some of our programs. And he launched his first course about drawing composition, and it did phenomenally well. He had maybe a thousand people on an email list, which is not a huge number, and they weren't super engaged. And he sold um, $128,000 worth of this $450 course, which is you know a lot of money in this niche. So definitely a premium course. He did very well with it. And he offered a whole bunch of individualized feedback. He would review people's drawings, record Loom video feedback. And as he shared in the interview that we did with him, he was not expecting this level of success. And it kind of came back to bite him. Right, His wife came to call his office the Loom Tomb because he was basically locked in there for months providing feedback to people. Now, you know, you might listen to this and think, well, you know, that's not so bad. You know, working like crazy for two months recording videos and making $128,000, it's not the worst trade. But where it gets really interesting is that going into the second year, we worked with him to expand and update and upgrade the course, and he launched again. And he did even better. This time he brought in $370,000 worth of sales. So a lot more students. But then the delivery of that took a lot less of his time because he put scalable feedback structures in place. So it didn't compromise the experience of the students. The experience of the students actually got better, but it was also more scalable for him. And you can hear about some of the ideas of things he was playing with and looking to implement in that structure in the interview that we did with him in season one. And maybe we should have him back in season two and talk about all the things that he updated and changed. Yeah, that'd be great. So what do you see as like the biggest gaps, I guess, between the vision of these highly engaging and effective hybrid courses that you've laid out and the typical courses that you see today or what kind of the baseline experience is? Well, I find that in terms of how people approach their development and construction, there's generally a very all or nothing approach. Either it's like nothing, you know, I don't want to do any of that. I I want passive income through online courses. We've heard that trope a ton, right? And so I just want a bunch of videos and a membership. So I want it to be evergreen so I can automatically make money from, you know, my beach in my underwear kind of thing. And so that rarely works because those courses, I think the technical term is they suck. They're just terrible. So that doesn't result in anything. But then people swing the other way. They're like, no, no, I want to create something amazing. I want to have really powerful immersive transformation. And so they have this vision of what the course will eventually look like, you know, what will be like version seven or version nine of the course. And they try to build that from the beginning, from scratch, without real feedback from their market on how they're consuming the information, where people are getting stuck, where they need help, what questions they have. And they create a kind of Rube Goldberg machine of course complexity 
that often never sees the light of day because they're so busy building it and never launches. And so you want to have the aspiration of that wonderful version, but start with something that is small, minimum viable, get it up and running, be very present and co-creative over index on live delivery and support, not because it's scalable and you're going to do it forever, but because it gives you a direct line to your students to see what is working and what is not, what questions do they have. And that is the feedback that you need to then iterate the development, make version two better and version three better and version four better until you get to that version where, wow, this is amazing. It's delivering incredible transformation. People are loving it. It's worth paying a premium for, and it takes almost none of my time. So you can get to that place, but you can't get there from a place of, oh yeah, I just want passive income. Yeah, it makes sense. What haven't I asked or what else is important for people to know about where online courses are going or the value of hybrid courses as the way forward? Well, I mean, I think we've spoken about this a fair amount, and it's a theme that keeps coming up on the show. And of course, we're going to talk about a lot more on the show in the coming season that's just around the corner. So that's coming soon. I'm very excited for us to explore that. I would be remiss if I didn't mention to our listeners that once a year, we at Miracy, we have course building programs where we teach people how to do this and coach them and hold them by the hand and, and help them make it happen. So once a year, we do a big enrollment and, and we're coming around to that time. So in honor of that, we have a whole bunch of free resources and free trainings. And the presumption is that if you're listening to this, you're probably also getting emails from us. And so watch for those. But if you are listening to this, but you are not getting emails from myself or Abe, then I would encourage you to head over to miracy.com and um, put your name and email address in any boxes you find on the site, or just reach out to us, send an email to support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T at miracy.com and say, hey, I hear there's a whole bunch of free training and we got a big launch of training and program coming up soon. Can you make sure I get those updates and we'll be happy to make sure that you receive them? Yeah, you definitely don't want to miss those because this is really where Danny shares his best ideas is during these launches. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming, you know, new written material, live webinars with Danny. So, and if you miss it now, it's like it won't roll around again for another year. So you don't want to miss it. But other than that, I mean, I think we've covered it. And uh, hey, it was fun being on the other side of the proverbial microphone. Thanks for hosting. All right. Danny Eni is the founder and CEO of Miracy, the business education company that supports coaches, consultants, and expertise-based entrepreneurs to grow their businesses with hybrid online courses. You can learn more about his work by checking out his books on Amazon or visiting miracy.com. And thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, the co-founder and CEO of Resecu. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network. To see what other shows we have that you might enjoy, just search Miracy FM in your favorite podcast app. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. In addition to being on the hot seat today, Danny Eady is also my co-host and our executive producer, host production by Post Office Sound. So that you don't miss the great episodes coming up on season two in just a couple of weeks, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you can think of a friend, colleague, or acquaintance who would benefit from or be fascinated by the conversation that you just heard, why not share the episode with them? I'm sure they'll thank you, and so will we. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.
I want to say to whoever is editing this, feel free to cut anything I said. Like, don't, you know, I'm not precious about any of it. <laughs> Use your judgment either way. Yeah, I mean, it's all relevant, and especially people who haven't heard, you know, Danny talk at Lyft or other places before. It's all going to be, you know, new and interesting to them. So, yeah, same place tomorrow. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. 
This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.